We are starting a brand new series this morning called Stranded. Um, and so you can't start a new series called Stranded without asking the most obvious question that I'm going to ask you. If you were to be stranded on a deserted island, what would you want with you? You're on a deserted island. What do you want? <laughs> I just say start yelling it out. We have the good Sunday school answer. I know it's something, but I better say Jesus. Um, come on, let's hear it. What, everyone online, you just type in the comment section, what is something you'd want on a deserted island? Anybody? Let's hear it. Oh, everyone's being shy now. A genie. There we go. That's a good one. I take that. Ross wants rope. Okay. Oh, that was a tongue twister. Ross wants rope. There we go. Okay. Anybody else? What do you want? You're on a deserted island. A boat. <laughs> Chocolate. Um, nobody's taking their spouse, I noticed. That's <laughs> what, what's up with that? I, oh, there we go. They're not an item. They're not an object. I asked this to a bunch of adults once, and the response, the wife was like, I'll take my husband and whatever he wants. That was, I was like, that's good. That's a good, uh, that's a good answer. Um, whenever I used to ask this question at youth group, because you got to ask it at youth group at least once. Of course, you have the one, the one kid, you know, the teacher's pet. He's like, the Bible? <laughs> and the rest of the group's like, Really? The Bible? You're a deserted island. And then there's always the one kid who sits in the back, and he's got the answer that he knows nobody else has thought of. You know, he's, he's just sitting there, waiting for everyone to be done. And you see him, it's, the gears are working, and so at the end you look at him, and you're like, okay, what? <laughs> what are you going to say? He's like, fully charged satellite phone. <laughs> you win. Okay, the rest of us are making survivor forts, and you're calling the operator. Hey, I'm on an island. Come get me. The rest of us are, yeah, anyways, we're waiting. You're at the buffet. Good job. You win. Um, <clears throat> it's fun to think about what we would take on an actual deserted island, but the reality is, and one of the things that we've seen over COVID and the challenges that we've seen and the isolation is what happens when we get stuck on the islands of life. What happens when we get stuck on the spiritual island, when we are feeling isolated and we're not connected and we're feeling disconnected from everything that matters, disconnected from everything that we find life in, everything? What happens and how do we not only survive that emotionally and physically, but how do we survive that spiritually? And so over the course of June, we're going to Darren and I are going to kind of partner up, and we're going to give you what we think is the, the Christian's survival guide for surviving the spiritual islands that pop up in life. And obviously, this would have been good to have prior to COVID, but like I said last week, we can't take any of our current rights and freedoms for granted. We could, at any moment, lose all of our Christian rights. We could lose the ability to meet again. We could lose the ability to stream our services online. We could lose all of our known ability to get the message out. And if we were completely cut off from our pastor and from our church and from everything that we've taken for granted up to this point, could our faith survive? 
And the answer is yes, because as we prayed a couple months ago for the persecuted church, there are massive amounts of Christians today who don't have the luxury of getting together. They don't have the luxury of studying God's Word. They don't even have God's Word in their possession, and yet they are not only surviving spiritually, but they are flourishing and thriving, and the church is growing, and we're seeing miracles and amazing things accomplished in these areas. So the question is, what do they know that maybe we're missing? What do they, what have they got figured out that we could come and we could apply to our lives so that when we are isolated and we are stuck on the islands of life, then we are guaranteed to experience the same, not just surviving, but actually thriving in our faith, thriving in our life, thriving in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And before we get too far into this, <coughs> there's an important differentiation I need to make. So, and it has to do with the word when. When is such an important word? Because there is a big difference between someone saying when and somebody saying if, right? There's a big difference between me saying when I get out of debt and if I get out of debt. There's a big difference between saying when I get better, when I beat cancer, and if I beat cancer. And growing up, when it came to your chores, there's a big difference between when you take the garbage out and if you take the garbage out. One is a non-negotiable. This, <clears throat> sorry, this is happening. You are taking the garbage out. You are getting better. You are getting out of debt. You are when this happens, as opposed to if this happens. If suggests that there is a possibility that at some point in this life, this is not going to happen. This is not going to be applicable. And this is so important because over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four when statements Jesus makes over the course of him teaching the disciples and the followers that were coming with him. <clears throat> and it's so important because Jesus is teaching these things not as a if you do it, but when you do this thing, I want you to do it right. So there is an expectation as followers, as disciples, that these four things are happening and maybe this is going to be news for some of us, like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing that. Oh, fun fact, good to know. Um, and so not only are you going to learn that this is an expectation, but you're going to learn how to do it right in a God-honoring way. And as a result of applying these when expectations to our life, we're going to start to experience some real flourishing and thriving of our faith. So as set up, that's all my setup. We are going to Matthew 6 this morning. So if you got your Bible, go to Matthew 6. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, as always, let us know. We would gladly hook you up. I have a large box of New Testaments sitting in my office right now, and that's a good Kickstarter for anybody. So if you need a Bible or if you want just a New Testament, something to get going, let us know. We'll hook you up. That is the least we could do. As always, you don't have a Bible, it will be popping up on the screen. Matthew 6, starting at verse 1. But before I get to that, for those who don't know anything about the Bible, 
I, I, I like to give some backstory. I like to let you know what the context of what's going on. Matthew 6 is right in the middle of something called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is standing before not only his disciples, but hundreds of followers. It starts in chapter 5. It ends in chapter 7. There's three chapters of Jesus teaching people. And over the course of this sermon, Jesus says a lot of, you've heard it said this way, but I want you to know it this way. You've seen them do it this way, but I want you to do it this way. It is the beginning of us starting to realize that what Jesus is doing is he's being extremely countercultural. That the way the world has taught us, the way the world has done things, doesn't cut it anymore. That Jesus actually has a better way. So that's all my preamble. Matthew 6, starting at verse 1. Here we go. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward with your Father who sees who is in heaven. So this first verse is to set up for the next four messages. The next four, he says, do not do these things to be seen. Because if you do, you have no reward from my Father, who he's going to say later, sees what is done in secret. Thus, when you, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now this seems like an odd place to start when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, but here's the reality. When we think about the islands we find ourselves in life, and the island I mean is like seclusion, we often find ourselves, if we're feeling anxious, we often feel like we're alone in our anxiety, when we're depressed, we often feel like we're alone in our depression. When we are in conflict with somebody, we find that we are isolated from that individual because of the conflict. And what is one thing that consistently makes us feel those things? Money. What is the one thing that you fight about most in your marriage? Money. And what is the one thing that Jesus talks about most over the course of the New Testament because it's so important for us to understand God's perspective on money? He talks about this so much. And if we're going to thrive, I'm going to, actually this morning what I'm going to say is in order to avoid most of the islands in life that we find ourselves on, we need to take a godly perspective. We need to have Jesus' eyes when it comes to the ways that we handle our money. Because so often, the islands, the hurts, depression, the anxiety, the worry, the arguing, the it all stems back to money. <laughs> and so Jesus says this. He says, when you give, when it comes to your money, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand see what your right hand is doing. Make sure that you are not announcing it to the world. Because later on, what's going to happen, when we have a wrong perspective on money, Jesus says this in verse 24 of chapter 6. He says, No one can serve two masters. 
Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve them both. Paul will pick this up when he's writing his letter to his young disciple, Timothy. He says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so the easiest way, this is, this is my, 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 <laughs> my thing I want to stick. When it comes to money, you gotta, we always have to ask ourselves, am I working for money or is my money working for me? Let me ask you this again. Am I working for money or is money working for me? And here's how we tell the difference. Because money, when it is our master, when it is the thing that we love and is the thing that we serve and the thing that we focus on, money makes all kinds of promises, right? It asks, but it also asks all kinds of sacrifices. It asks for your time. It asks for your devotion. It asks for your, um, it asks for your work. It asks for more and more and more, and all it ever does and asks for more. Because when it comes to money, if money is our focus, we can never have enough. I was reading a book by Kyle Eidelman a while ago, and he was talking, he was having a session with a, young, with a young man who was very successful in his business. He was one of these guys that had, he had no needs. He just had way more money than he knew what to do with. And it came out that this young man actually was being charged with fraud. And the pastor sat down with him and he was like, what in the world would ever possess you to commit fraud? You had so much. You've been wealthy for a while. Why would you do this? And he's like, I don't know. I just, at some point, I just lost my way, and what I had wasn't enough, and what I was doing wasn't enough, so I started cutting corners, and I started doing things that I wasn't supposed to do, and I knew I wasn't supposed to do it, but the money kept coming, and so I just kept rationalizing it. I just kept doing it. Are you working for money, or is your money working for you. And the easiest way to ensure that money does not become your master is to give it away. Right? The, greed, the least generous people on the planet also tend to be the greediest people. Right? They are accumulating money, they are accumulating their finances, and the last thing they want to do is give it away. And yet Jesus comes on, he's like, no, 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 no. When it comes to your finances, we are to have an open hand. We're to have, we're not supposed to grip it as tightly as we can. We're to have an open hand approach. And when God asks, we give. <clears throat> and this is really like uncomfortable. Everyone's really quiet right now because nobody likes talking about money. Nobody likes talking about it because we all know this is a reality. This is, this is something that we often cannot have a very Christ-like approach to. We can very often get distracted by the things of this world and start approaching money with unhealthy, unhealthy thoughts, unhealthy perspective, unhealthy approaches. And so, <laughs> this, trust me, it's uncomfortable for you, it's uncomfortable for me. I'm not enjoying this at all either. At least when we're laughing, it's easy to preach. When we're not laughing, it's... Ugh. 
So how, so yes, when it comes to money, we have to have our open hand. We have to be giving. And when Jesus, and Jesus says the best way to make sure money, because we like, money is one of these status things, right? We like to let people know I am, when I've got lots, I want people to know I've got lots. When I have the, when I have the funds, I buy a bigger house. I drive a nicer car. I buy the, but when you are stranded on an island in real life, when you are stranded on an island, doesn't matter how big your, your house is in that moment. No. When you are stranded on an actual island, doesn't matter how nice your clothes are, how big your car is, doesn't matter how, doesn't matter how much is in the bank account. No. What matters? Getting off the island. And when it comes to the when it comes to those spiritual islands, those islands of life, and I named a few: anxiety, depression, conflict. Not, money doesn't make any of those things go away. Money doesn't make those things any better. It doesn't get us off the island. What gets us off the island? Well, it's either people or it's God. And the problem is, like I said, money's put us on the island, and it's not going to get us off. So why not avoid the island altogether and just deal with money and make sure that our money, and this is, <clears throat> when I say, does your money work for you? This is how Dave Ramsey says it. He says, make sure that every dollar that comes in has a job. Okay, every dollar. Even if the job for the money is to go sit in a savings account and make interest, that's still a job. That is still something that it is doing. Our money pays our bills, our money pays for groceries, it pays for gas, it goes to the savings account. The worst thing money can do is sit there. Why? Because when money sits, it gets hot. And it burns a hole in our pocket. And so we have to get rid of it. And that's when we get into bad spending habits. We get into <clears throat> your money needs to have a job. It needs to be doing something. And if we have money that's just <laughs> sitting around, which I don't have that problem. Anybody else? I, I don't know. But if we, when it sits too long, it starts to get hot. It start, so Jesus says, that money, just give it away. Be generous. Bless somebody with it. Because there's always going to be somebody in need who needs it. There's always somebody who needs an extra bit of blessing. There's always somebody who is less fortunate than ourselves. And as we said last week, Dave Ramsey, live like nobody else so you can give like nobody else. And when it comes to money, this is what the Old Testament says. And I, this is and this is really important. This is a point of finances that I'm sure if you've grown up in church, you've heard this before. If you haven't grown up in church, this is going to be new. Don't let it shock you too bad, but I promise you, Malachi chapter 3. Growing up in church, you know exactly where I'm going. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, are not consumed from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from the statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how can we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me the whole nation. Bring the full tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby 
Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down blessing on your life until there is no more need. It gets a little fuzzy back there, so I'll read it up here. Pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. When we withhold the tithe, Jesus said, God says, it is the same as robbing God. Not a habit I want to get into. Not in the interest of robbing the creator of the universe. So what is the tithe? Well, in the Old Testament, the tithe was, the te- was 10%. And it's not the last 10%. It's not when everything else has been paid. The tithe was the first 10% of what? Of everything. If you're new to church, you're like, what? 10%? That's a big chunk of change. Yes. Yes, it is. <clears throat> but let me tell you about, for the tithe, when it comes to the tithe, when it comes to giving the 10%, I have been, since, ever since out of school, when I have actually started making money, aka when I started here, and since I've been married to my wife, the times when finances have been tightest have been the times we have forgotten to give the tithe. When I've tithed, and when my wife has tithed, and we have tithed as a, as a couple, and we give our 10% to God, for some reason, there's always more than enough. There's never a shortage. Yet when we keep the 10%, there's never enough. That math doesn't make sense. I keep my 10%, and I, have, I don't have enough. I give my 10%, and there's always more than enough. How does that work? Because in God's kingdom, when we are giving that 10%, when we withhold the 10% from God, it's cursed. Guarantee you. So whatever that 10% number is, so if $100, it's 10 bucks. It's, and that gets bigger the more money we're talking about. But when you withhold the tithe from God, it is cursed, and it curses the whole lot. The same way Jesus, the Old Testament talks about how Sin is like yeast. It just takes a little bit to corrupt the whole batch. When you withhold the 10% that is rightfully God's, it curses the whole bank account and every account after it. You 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 may think you can't afford to give the tithe. I'm telling you, you can't afford not to give it. Because there is blessing and there is honor and there is... God says... You want to know how good it is? Test me in this. Test me in the tithe. Give it and see if I will not open the gates of heaven and pour a blessing on you. But what is Jesus talking about? Jesus, when he's talking about giving to the needy, he's not talking about giving out of that 10%. He's saying the 10% is God's set aside. That goes nowhere else. Generosity starts at 11%. And this is one of the interesting things that happens in church on a regular basis. We will bring in a missionary. We love our missionaries. We love providing for our missionaries. We love giving to our missionaries. But what happens on Missionary Sunday? The tithe dries up. Because when we, if we don't understand how this works, the 10% just gets redirected. No, 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 that's not how that works. The tithe is God's. And then the old, we use Old Testament words, the offering, the, the palms, the, the extra, the little bit of extra generosity comes after. Dave Ramsey says that generosity starts at 11%. Ooh, that number just keeps getting bigger. 
But when we are operating in this, when we are taking, the, I, I remember my mom and dad gave me a book called The Storehouse Principle. And the way, its, it's method of giving, the way it's recommendation when it comes to finances was 10% goes to God and 10% goes to me and then you deal with everything after that. <gasps> now I'm not down, not, I'm down to 80% of my money. That's a big chunk of change gone. Yeah, I don't need my 10%. I'm going to put it somewhere else. But it, it was a principle of saving. It was a principle of setting aside for a rainy day. It was a principle. And, a pr- and I, I didn't, I, it's been a while since I read the book, so I can't remember. But it was a, very much an Old Testament teaching that you have this 10% you give to God, and you have 10% that you keep for yourself, and then you pay for everything out of the rest. And if you can't afford 10%, if you can't afford the 20%, you can't afford, then the suggestion was that we have a wrong attitude of money and we are living a little more extravagantly than we need to be. And one of the things that I told you last week that I'm kind of on this, this journey of men's health, spiritual, physical, da-da-da-da. One of the things that's part of the plan is what is called no unnecessary spending. When you take every purchase and you apply that word, is this necessary, you cut back on a lot of purchases. Snack food, gone. I'm a good snacker. That's a hard one to give up. All of a sudden it's like, oh, is this really necessary? Is this really? All of a sudden the bank account's like, oh, I like this plan. Matt, you're never coming off of it. Okay, I I guess I'm good with this. Um, We have to, we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to have a biblical, a Christ-centered approach to our finances. And when we do, we start to avoid these islands. We start to avoid the conflicts and these anxieties and these depressions and these, because money is no longer the master. We are the master of money. It works for us. We don't work for it. And because ultimately, we're not even the master of it. Because we are called, above all else, to be good stewards of all that God has blessed us with. And when we have a right view of money, we start to realize that every penny that we say is ours isn't actually ours, it's God's. And what God calls us to when it comes to our finances is not to hoard it, is not to stockpile it. For when, because when we die, it doesn't come with us. When we get on the island, it doesn't make us feel any better. So what's the best thing we can do with it? We can give. And who do we give to? We give to the needy. We give to those less fortunate. We find those opportunities, and the more open-handed we are with our finances, and the more open-handed we are with the money that we make, the less prone we are for to start calling the shots in our life, and the less prone we are to get stuck on an island. So lesson number one, survival guide number one of your how to avoid the how how to survive the islands. Let's just not go on the island in the first place. Let's approach certain aspects of life, and maybe it's not money, maybe it's something else that we just need to take a godly approach to, but we need to, we need to have this Christ-centered focus, and we can avoid those islands altogether. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you... God, I thank you that you entrust us with so much. 
You entrust us with our families. You entrust us with our jobs. You entrust us with our calling and our ministry. And you entrust us with money. And so often, God, money competes with you for our life. It competes for our attention. It competes for our time. It competes for our skills. It competes with, with you. And God, I pray for each and every, for every single person hearing my voice that the competition would end, that you would take the throne, that you would take lordship over our life, and that we would take your godly, healthy perspective when it comes to our finances. God, I pray that you give us the wisdom to show us how to make money work for us, not us work for our money. That you would be master, you would be Lord, you would be, <laughs> you'd be our financial advisor, Lord. God, help us to be sensitive for the thing, for those that are in need. Pray for that we would be sensitive to those opportunities where we can give to somebody less fortunate than ourselves to give them the life that you've called them to have. God, let us be the vessel of generosity. Let us be And I pray when those opportunities to be generous arise, that we would not shy away from it, we wouldn't run to our bank app to check first, but that we would just jump at the opportunity to be generous, to sow those seeds of the kingdom. And in the process of us avoiding the islands of life, we would help others avoid the islands as well. When you give. Thank you, Jesus, for this teaching. Thank you, God, for your word. May it change us and transform us as we go about our week. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen.